0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a Vineyard Church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's word. Welcome. Hey, I was on my way to uh, Wilmington this weekend, uh, as I usually do, I listen to like some preachers and or some music and I was listening to one of my favorite uh, pastors, uh, a man named Rich Nathan from the Columbus Columbus Vineyard, and uh, Rich was telling, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a story about a uh, a, young lady, uh, a young lady, a young lady, a 16 year old lady who developed an app called, and maybe you've heard of this, "Sit with Us." Uh, she developed the app in the 11th grade, and this is Natalie. Hampton here, and what precipitated this is that Natalie was severely bullied in the seventh and eighth grade. Uh, She would go to sit in lunch, and I I don't know, some of you will definitely remember lunchtime as either a great time or a horrible time in school, and uh, she would go to sit at her table, and no one would sit with her, and she... Was bullied. Actually, she was attacked physically four times by some students in the school, and uh, sh- no one would listen to her. Listen to these words. And um, after I heard this story from Rich, Karen and I sat down and we watched her TED talk, and then we watched her being interviewed by some other middle schoolers. And it was just fascinating. But uh, listen to this In my old school, <clears throat> I was completely ostracized by all my classmates, and so I had to eat lunch alone every day. When you walk into the lunchroom and you see all the tables of everyone sitting there and you know that going up to them would only end in rejection, you feel extremely alone and extremely isolated and your stomach drops and you are searching for a place to eat. But you know if you sit by yourself, there'll be so much embarrassment that comes with it because people will know and they'll see you as the girl who has nowhere to sit. So there's so many awful feelings that come with it. Well, finally, after two years, she was moved to high school, to another school in another area, and things went a lot better. And her first day uh, there sitting at the table, someone came over and asked if he could sit with her. Well, she thought, well, my life is getting better, but I can't leave it. I can't just leave it like it was because of all the people that experienced this. So she developed Sit With Us app. It's a social app where you can go on, uh, a student can go on, and find a group to sit with, and there are people there waiting for you to welcome you to sit at the table. I mean, I think Natalie is definitely making the most of her life and her young life. I heard about another one, and maybe this is going on in the... uh, Horry County schools, I don't know, or in the schools in our area, but a thing called the Lunch Bunch, and uh, it's teachers who decide that they will make room and have lunch for those who are on the autistic spectrum, uh, that way, and they actually have projects and questions and, and things, and they bring the autistic uh, community together, this touched my heart, because we have a family member uh, like this, and, and I know the stories, I've heard the stories, and uh, and seen uh, the repercussions of those stories. And to know that there's people out there who make their lives count by making someone else's life count is extremely encouraging to me. And that's been our journey over the last five weeks as we've looked at this topic called Making My Life Count. And, uh, and so we're going to bring it to a close today, this series, next week's Mother's Day, right? We're going to celebrate moms and uh, And so uh, uh, if you'd pray with me, uh, we're going to jump into this. We're going to look at a familiar story, but I think we can learn a few things about making our lives count from it. So Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me in my weakness and that, Lord, you would indeed grace me with the gift of teaching and that we would... We would hear your voice this morning. I, I feel like, Lord, you've kind of sent us that invitation that come and sit with me. And so, Lord, we want to respond today and we'll come and sit because we know we're welcome with you. Sit and listen. And uh, also to learn of your friendship, to learn of who you are. So be with us today, God. And I pray that I know there are some in here, I'm sure, who have not come to know you as their dear Lord and Savior and also as a deep friend. And so I pray today that somehow in my words and somehow through your word, God, and your spirit here, that you would open up that heart and they would see your great welcome mat and respond to your call to surrender and to follow you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be over in Luke 10. Uh, In your handout, flip it over, there's a fill-in on the back side, the uh, scripture's back there as well, and uh, this is a familiar story. This is a story of what? Anybody know? The good Samaritan, and even saying the good Samaritan uh, is an important thing. Let me get this set up. Jesus has been sharing. uh, His disciples have gone out and found out that he has invested great power in them, and But the leaders, the religious leaders of his day are after him. They're trying to set him up for a fall. They're trying to catch him in some kind of mistake, religious mistake or something, and so they can take him down. And so this young lawyer, your scripture, your passage may say uh, lawyer, comes to him. And so let's read the passage. We'll put it up here on the screens, and uh, then we'll take a look at this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Expert in the law means he was a theologian. He knew the law of Moses inside and out. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, tells a story. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Awesome. <laughs> a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about a four thousand foot drop, seventeen miles of treacherous topography, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus is being tested, as we saw in this. The lawyer is a professional in the scripture, in the law of Moses. And, uh, and so he's testing. He's wanting to catch Jesus. Uh, Jesus answers not with a yes or a no. He asks him a question, doesn't he? He asks. Jesus asks a question. He answers. Jesus asks a question. Jesus tells a story. Jesus asks a question. He answers. I mean, I tell you all the time, Jesus is the smartest person. I mean, he handles this dialogue in a genius way to teach him. And uh, and so that's the setup. And the set. This is a story, so we have to be careful about taking it apart too much because this is Jesus' way of trying to teach us something. But it is a story, so we can't kind of divide it up and say, "Wonder what he was thinking." Blah blah blah. All of this kind of thing. Jesus is getting at one thing in this story. And and here's here's just the postscript for you. Jesus deals with us. He deals with people in their particular situation with what they need to hear. Because right after this, Jesus talks to uh, some of his best friends. Remember Mary and Martha? And uh, you remember Martha's just in the kitchen working hard, hard, hard. And what's Mary doing? She's worshiping, right, at Jesus' feet. And, and uh, Martha gets all upset. So there's a different prescription for that busy person. Jesus deals with the situation as it warrants, and he talks to us in our situation as whatever we need. And so in that situation, you'll have to read it, I'm going to leave you suspended there. We'll step back to the next story. But in this situation, you have a man who is an expert in the law and is trying to trip Jesus up. And it's very telling, too, right from the very beginning, because the the man goes, what must I what do? What must I do to get into heaven? What must I do? And uh, as we read on in the story, Jesus responds with this, and this is going to be your first fill-in. Jesus responds with, uh, how do you read it, right? How do you read it, Mr. Professional Bible Reader? How do you read getting into heaven? And your first fill-in is this, how you read makes a difference, how you read the scripture, how you read life, how you interpret things, especially how you read what Jesus says and what he tells us makes a huge difference in making your life count in the way that God intended for it to. What must I do? His perspective is already coloring that answer. Jesus knows that. So he says, what do you say? How do you read the scripture And then the young man, I'm assuming he's young, he may be older, but he replies with what's known as the Shema. And every Jewish, good Jewish man knew this, a person knew, they were raised to know this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. And he quotes it straight out. And Jesus says, hey, that's right. Go and do it. Anybody find a problem with that? I mean, Go and do that, and yeah, everything will be great. Any of you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Anybody doing that with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and do? Any of you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Now this guy didn't bat an eye in this at all, and Jesus turns around and tells him a story. Because the guy backs up and goes wait a minute you know he's feeling like some of us at times when we feel like we can't do enough what must I do what must I do to inherit eternal life and so suddenly when he hears his own words the words he knows so well suddenly he is feeling very vulnerable so he backs up and goes wait wait a minute who is my neighbor like you know who is it that I'm supposed to love like myself and so Jesus tells the story. How you read the scriptures, how you read life, how you read everything, taints everything you do, how you feel, how you respond. And uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Romans 15.1. Romans 15.1 says, Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, right? Have you ever read that with you in mind? How do you read that? Accept one another. I'm supposed to accept one another. That is what it says, right? Accept one another as Christ accepted me. Have you ever read it this way? Accept myself as Christ has accepted me. Have you ever read the scriptures for others for yourself? Or is it always for somebody else? See, how we read the scripture taints the rest of the story. How we interpret it. And, and our life experiences and all of it kind of come in and cloud it at times. And so we tend to interpret it. We have to kind of take a, a look at it again and again. And I think this is what Jesus is doing for this young man. Uh, how you read what God tells us in his scripture makes all the difference in the world. Now look at the second one. So how we read makes a difference. The second one is look in Luke 10, 31 through 33. It says, now there are Three different people in this story, right? There's a priest, similar to the theologian. A priest who is the top. He's on the organizational chart chart at the local church. He's the senior pastor, right? All right, he's the senior pastor. Then you've got the Levite. Now, the Levite is the guy that's on the organizational uh, chart of the church. Is like on the back page. He's kind of way on the back and... He's he's kind of like the temple policeman. I mean, he's still on staff, but you know he's kind of low rung. He's yeah, <laughs> he's he's down he's down on the bottom rung. So you got the guy at the top of the spiritual food chain, and then you've got the guy kind of down, but he's still in there, right? He's still in there. But then you got the Samaritan. Now, to us, a Samaritan, we're, all we know is that. That's a great story, and I should be nice to people. That's kind of the way we get this story. But see, I can't give you an example of a Samaritan, really, because there is no equivalency, actually. I I went through every type of person I could think of, and and the depth of this and what it meant to this young lawyer, this young uh, priest, or this young theologian. There's not really an example that is deep enough for us to try to make a comparison. Samaritans were half-breed heretics, to the Jewish people. And this had gone back to gosh 500 or years before all of this happened. They hated each other. They detested one another. There is no such thing as a good Samaritan. They don't go in the same sen- sentence. It's an oxymoron. There it just it doesn't work. So the minute that this holy man, the minute this expert in the law hears this, he you can believe that his Eyes are wide, his ears are open, and he is like, what? Then a Samaritan comes along. The priest comes along. Maybe he's making his way to to serve the church. I don't know. But he comes along, and he sees the body. This poor man, which we can't assume was Jewish because that's who traveled the road mostly, was Jewish, was beat up, left over there for dead, stripped of his clothes, everything taken from him. The priest comes along and sees him and does what? Walks on the other side of the road. Not that we've ever done that when we've been out at Market Common and seen somebody and walked on the other side of the road or anything. But our Levite does the same thing. Along comes the Levite. They both knew what the Scripture said about caring for their neighbors. They knew that. They knew it all. He sees it too. We don't know why. He didn't go over, but he walks on the other side of the road. You know, sometimes it's easier to try to not to see the things we need to respond to. Out of sight, out of mind, right? It's like, I didn't really see that, did I? No, no, I didn't see that. I didn't. And so they walk on the other side of the road. And my point, and the second point is this, and that is how you see things makes a difference. How you see things make a difference, and they make a difference in other lives and in making our lives count, it makes a difference. The eyes that we see, how we read, what God tells us, makes a difference, the way we interpret it, the way we look at it, and also how we see makes a difference. How we see others, what we allow ourselves to see and to feel when it comes to other people. it makes a huge difference. Along comes the Samaritan whom. Any good Jewish person would never, ever want to touch them, be near them at all. Jesus is using extremes on purpose to make a point here. Remember what was the original question? Yeah, how, yeah. what must I do to gain eternal life, right? Jesus says, you know what? You're the expert. He says, do it. But he feels boxed in. He's like, oh, man. But who is my neighbor? So now he tells the story. Samaritan comes along on his ride. Uh, where it is, we don't know if it's donkey probably. His ride, he comes along, he sees the man, he immediately goes to him. You see, one saw him, but saw him differently than the Samaritan saw him. So how we see people, how we see one another. And can I ask you this? Here's the question. How did, I mean, how do you see yourselves What do you think God thinks of you? Because that will dictate how you respond to others. That's why we love others as we love ourselves, right? That's the thing, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you don't see and if you can't read this scripture, why we work so hard here at this to be able to actually realize what God thinks about you and what he's done for you, then we can never see another person the way God sees them. And this priest who should know things and this Levite who should know it. He doesn't want to see it because he knows if he sees it, then there's some accountability in it. And so he walks on the other side of the road. Maybe if I don't go over there and I don't see the need, I won't have to respond to it. But the Samaritan. And this man it cannot believe it when he's hearing this. How do you see yourself? You know, this is something why the church community is so important. You know, we all, yesterday when I was kind of just meditating through this, uh, some of you are, some of us are old enough uh, to have to deal with cataracts, right? You know what they are, right? You start noticing some diffusing at the light when the light hits you at night or Uh, during the day when I may be getting a little foggy and you can't focus, you know, that all of us have spiritual cataracts. Every single one of us. All of life is diffused through something that's been placed in front of us, and that's our experiences, that's what we've been taught. All of that, and we need help to get those cataracts cleared out. We cannot take them out ourselves. We need one another. We need each other as samaritans to come along to help remove the cataract so that we can see life and see people the way that we're intended to otherwise we just we really never make our lives count the way that they could you know what you see is where you will be your eyes lead the way it's like surfing you know and surfing some of you know that when you go to turn you're looking down the wave when you go to turn you look back and what happens your shoulders follow right you look where that gaze goes your shoulders follow your hips follow and in come your legs and you're going that direction you go back the other direction you throw your eyes back your shoulders follow and you come back around that's life wherever we look whatever we see is where we go and so how we see and what we see is so very important in our lives. I think Natalie Hampton saw something. You know, she experienced it, and then she saw it. She said, there are others, not just me, but there are others that are going through this as well. And she chose to make a difference. How we see things. How we see one another. How do you see your family? How do you see people? How do you see people in the world I mean, we have cataracts. And A great question to ask is the minute you see someone that you immediately feel a little cringe factor. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. now, I, You know, I you know because I, I I'm like this, only with my wife. But, um, you know, she gets to see it all because, you know, I'm a good pastor and I can't do that. And so... Um, But whenever I, you know, whenever I'm like reactive or something or get upset, she hears it and it's like the minute, the minute I hear it, though, it's like the Lord kind of grabs my heart and goes, did you just hear yourself? Did you just hear yourself, Tim? And I mean, God doesn't go, you know, he just goes, really? Really? Seriously? And I'm like, you're right, God, you're right. Cataract, cataract, you know. Time to have it peeled back. Time to have it peeled back. And the same is true with the way you see yourself. Some of you, like, have you ever been raised in a legalistic setting? So everything, just like this young man, this young man or this man who is asking this question, is raised in a setting where you have to do, 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 do. It's all a bunch of do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. And if I do enough, then I'll be okay then I'll be all right. And so that cataract gets thicker and thicker and thicker because you've looked at yourself that way for so long and you've been told that for so long that you cannot ever measure up. And so all of your life is driven, 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 driven trying to measure up until Jesus comes along. He goes, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. And that is so foreign to us. That is so foreign to us. Jesus peels the cataract back. Peels it back so that we can see his gracious, glorious perfection that he has offered to us in his own life. So that we can be forgiven and live this life that he's called us to. How do you see yourself? What you see makes a difference. What you see when you look in the mirror makes a difference. You cannot love your neighbor if you haven't learned to at least love what God is doing in you and who you are in him. I mean, have you ever looked in the mirror? And I don't mean this in a Fonzie kind of way. You know, but have you ever looked in the, in the, some people don't even know who that is. But, the bear? What? Uh, but ever looked in the mirror and just gone, thank you, Jesus. Not, oh, thank, you, Jesus. You know, but, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And then take that and see others the same way, and treat them that way. Samaritan saw this man. He there is no sign of any hesitation on his part. Immediately he jumps down to the side of the road and he begins to work on him and. You know, this is where really the truth is, isn't it? And that is how we respond makes a difference. That's your third fill-in, how we respond. How we read things makes a difference. How we read the Scripture, how we see things, ourselves, others, makes a difference. And then how we respond will make a difference. And that was the big difference, isn't it? What if the Samaritan had just said, oh, poor guy, and walked on? But he didn't. He went to him. Look at the verbs in this passage and the action in this passage. He said he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, very precious for food and for drink and also for the medicine of that day. And oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, which meant what? He had to walk. That meant the man had to walk. He put the guy on his donkey. Now this Samaritan is having to walk this distance to get to help, to get him to the end. He brought him to an inn, took care of him. And inns were not like we're thinking. We're thinking, well, he went to a nice hotel down here on the strip and, you know, checked him in. No, the inns were like an extra room or where the donkeys lived or some house. And they were disreputable many times. And if you went in, you could get ripped off. But still, that was the closest place to get help. And so he took the man there. And then the man puts his own finances in jeopardy because he tells the innkeeper, he says, take care of him. He gave him two denarii, right? He said, here, this will take care of you right now, but I'm coming back, so there's going to be more care, but if anything is needed, I will take care of it and pay you when I return. That The innkeeper could have ripped him off. He put himself in a susceptible position to take care of this man who had been beaten up because the innkeeper could have just overcharged him or whatever. I mean, the the point of this situation is Jesus is trying to draw this correlation that, you know, it's an extreme story, obviously, right? And it's extreme on purpose to get our attention. The man was personally involved in this other person's help. And so how we respond makes a difference. It costs us a Samaritan. And, you know, this is really not about who is my neighbor, is it? Is this about who is my neighbor? Is that what Jesus is saying? Because what's the closing what's the closing question in this? Yeah, go and do the same and then he he said, yeah, that's right. He see it's not about who is your neighbor. It's about you being the neighbor. It's not about who it is. It's not about whether you like them or not. It's about you. It's about you being the neighbor. That was the point. You know, the, 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 the lawyer can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He says, the man. When he says who, you know, who showed him mercy and who loved him, he says, the man. <laughs> the pro, you know, the, the uh, lawyer. He can't even say the Samaritan. He can't even let it come out of his mouth. That's how much he detests this person. He can't say it. But he has to admit Who was the neighbor? He was a Samaritan. And so instead of us going around going, I wonder who my neighbor is. Here's the question. Will you be the neighbor? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, I cannot help. But see you in this story as the Samaritan, rejected, despised, brutalized, and yet you came and rescued us. You are the neighbor, Lord. And you invite us to your table. To rescue us, God, from our own devices. To rescue us from our loneliness. To rescue us, Lord, from the batterings of life. From our own sins. My prayer is this morning that if you have not responded to Christ's call in your life, if you have not responded to jesus invitation to come sit with me that you would this morning because it's only then that really our sight can get cleared up it's only then that we can see ourselves as we should it's only then that we can be the neighbor that we need to be thank you thanks for listening to the seacoast vineyard podcast We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.